On this episode of Stories Behind the Grind, listen to my conversation with Thomas Alvord, co-founder of Funded Today. We discuss myths in crowdfunding, Paradise Principle, two must-knows after launching, and the one thing to guarantee success. My name is Aidan Vokolo, and here you will find business strategies, tips, and tactics that you can incorporate not only in your own venture, but your life to help you simplify and strategically grow, scaling up the impact you're having in this world. Listen as I talk to creators, innovators, and game changers on what it takes to build an impactful business, uncovering their insights, strategies, and tips to help you increase profitability and develop a thriving team culture. Welcome to the Stories Behind the Grind podcast. Thomas, thanks so much for coming on the Stories Behind the Grind podcast. It's great to have you on. Yeah, great to be here. Thanks so much. Thomas, you're a serial entrepreneur, co-founder and chairman of Funded Today, the largest crowdfunding agency in the world. Tell me, what were the steps that led you to launch Funded Today? That's a great question. Sometimes things happen in life that you're not even planning on doing. And in terms of a business, my business partner and I, uh, my business partner, Zach Smith, we were never planning on starting Funded Today. I actually went to law school and got a master's in public administration. I'm not sure if they have similar to that in Australia, but here in the United States, uh, that would be like nonprofit and government management, kind of like an MBA, but this is an MPA. So uh, I was actually doing some legal work, doing some immigration law, and I had started getting into doing email lead generation for political campaigns and was working on some governor races, Senate cam- U.S. Senate campaigns. Uh, actually have worked on a presidential campaigns doing email lead generation where the campaigns outsourced the lead generation to me because I was able to get them at a cheaper rate and with higher opt-in rates. So that actually is probably what my life would be right now. But about five years ago, my business partner and I, we were just acquaintances And the way we were acquaintances, kind of a long story, but I think it illustrates a really powerful point, is I had signed up for a copywriting course by a guy named Perry Marshall, who back in the day was kind of my mentor. And I think it was $99 where he basically did copywriting and you looked over his shoulder virtually as he put together the copy to see the thoughts he was having, to see how he was doing it, what questions he was asking. And at the end of it, apparently, I shared some comment saying, oh, this was wonderful. This was great. I forget exactly what it was. He took what I said and basically made it into a testimonial, uh, which obviously is really good because it wasn't really contrived or fake. It was 100% raw. Here's what it is, right? There you go, right? For somebody who knows copywriting well. But anyways, he, he went and took that and a couple other people and threw it into his email and blasted it off to his whole list. Well, my business partner, Zach Smith, is about an hour north of me here in Utah. And he saw that there's this guy, Thomas Alvord from Provo, Utah, on Perry Marshall's list. And he thought, that is so strange. That's a small world. I wonder who Thomas is. This was before Zach and I even knew. So literally, the way Zach and I met was Zach seeing me quoted or not really quoted, but my testimonial in this email and then just looking me up on Skype and connecting. Like literally that is how we connected. And then for about a year and a half, we just 
chatted back and forth on Skype. I think we had met up once or twice was all. And then it was the summer of 2014. He was consulting on a crowdfunding campaign and they had raised about 60,000, but were kind of dead in the water. And Zach knew I did online paid media marketing. So he reached out to me and we worked together and the campaign ended up raising another $70,000. And I I made a a decent little paycheck from that, but it was kind of like, oh, that was nice. Okay, we'll see you later. But then somebody else reached out saying, hey, will you help us on this campaign? And then another person and another person. So again, we were not planning on doing this. It was actually about a year and a half or two years in that I stopped doing my other stuff and just focus on Funda Today. So literally, it kind of just happened upon us because we got amazing results and there wasn't really anybody competing in the space back at that time. And it's still a pretty small market, but that, that's how we got started. That's how we founded Funded Today. And now it's kind of continuing to evolve it and, and see how we can continue to grow it. I love the I love the serendipity of it all. You know, you sort of taking a small little action that you probably thought was just a, a nice way to to thank the person, thank Perry Marshall for his content leads to the, you know, the start of what is now, you know, the largest crowdfunding agency in the world. It's um And there's the quote, I forget exactly how it goes, and not that there's a certain way, but I think it goes something along the lines of luck favors the prepared. It's something like that, right? It's that those who get lucky aren't really lucky. They're just in a way prepared. And I think when you're always out and about, you're doing stuff, right? You might not get lucky, so to speak, for five years, for 10 years, but you're going to have streaks of luck here or there. And so with this, yeah, it, it was kind of lucky. But Zach, to his credit, he really is good at networking. And Zach often says, I've made all of the money that I've made in life always from real life connections with people I know. And so he is always about networking. He's kind of been a a role model, you could say, an example where I'm like, okay, I could do better with that. So, you know, and sometimes you might meet 50 people and nothing bears fruit, so to speak, right? In terms of how you might be benefited, whether that's vocationally or financially or spiritually or physically or whatever, right? But hopefully we can always provide value to those that we we interact with. But, you know, 80-20, the Pareto principle, says you're going to get, you know, 80% of your value out of 20 of the 20% of your connections and if you drive down more, you know, you get the 80/20 principle within the 80/20 principle which says, you know, if you had 100 contacts, four of them are basically going to give you 64% of the value. But but the point is it is those little things. So, absolutely. Yeah, I was wondering if you could delve a little bit more into the Pareto principle. I know you're an avid user of it. How else do you leverage it in practice? Obviously, networking is a great example in terms of, you know, that there's a few people that'll have the, the majority of the connections. Are there any other ways that you use it daily? Yeah, that is a great question. And with the Pareto principle, also called the 80-20 principle, there's knowing to use it and actually using it, right? And so I think often I might get distracted, right? And I and I get down into nitty-gritty. And, and other things. And I realized I'm not focusing on 20% of the inputs that are going to give me 80% of my results or outputs. So not so much for business, but since you asked, you know, in my personal life right now, I have a handful of things I'm doing, right? So my kid recently, he's seven, I have a seven-year-old, a four-year-old and a one-year-old. 
And my seven-year-old started homeschooling and my wife said, hey, I really want you to do it. I think he needs this connection with you. And so we've started doing it. It's actually been wonderful. I've, I've really enjoyed it. But obviously when you're running a business, like doing homeschooling, you don't necessarily have a ton of time, right? So I spend an hour and a half or two hours in the morning doing that. Well, I also like to go to the gym. And as we mentioned before, this call started, right? I've been doing the Wim Hof method, you know, the cold showers and the breathing, and that takes time. There's some other exercises that I do. And then in the evening, I want to spend time, right, with my wife and my kids. And there's my church that I'm pretty active in that keeps me busy. And so there's all these things. It will, and also different books that I'm reading, either on negotiating or on improving your memory or just books I want to read. And so I feel like, man, here's all this stuff. I don't think there's a single one of these things that I would look at and say, there's not value in this, right? I'm not, it's not like, oh, frick, I don't have time to go watch some series on Netflix, right? I, I don't really watch TV. If I watch TV, my favorite thing to watch is a documentary to the chagrin of my wife. But basically, I realized I had to stop myself because we're also doing some things with growing funded today and wanting to have more time to do those things. And I had to stop myself and say, okay, what is the 80-20? Because the reality is everything that I'm doing, they are not of equal value. And in terms of what's going to bring me happiness or what's going to bring me tranquility, right? In our fast-paced world, that's kind of one of the things with meditation and other things that I'm trying to do is, is to also slow down, is to really think, right? If, if you don't have enough time, it's not because you don't have enough time. It's because you're not prioritized and they might all be good things. And so for me, it's really thinking, okay, how can I simplify? What can I cut out? What can wait till later? And so in my personal life, that's what I've been doing and, and then just needing to be okay with that. But in terms of business and anyone who's looking at starting a business, one of my greatest mentors, if you will, even though actually I was on a podcast with him, his name is Richard Kosh, but mainly what I've learned from him is from his books. And he has a couple books, well, a handful of books, but two of them that I absolutely love are the 80-20 principle. And the other is called the star principle. And basically he goes and he shows, here are the businesses that he will invest in as a venture capitalist. That the most important thing that you should do is look for a business that is in an industry that is growing 10% or more per year. Because if you become the leader in that market, you will have astronomical growth not because you're so amazing or so great, but because you're the leader in that market and that market is growing by 10% or more per year. So of all the principles I look at that I try to live by, that would be probably in the top five. And not that there's a lot, right? But in terms of business, that is the most important principle. So when we're looking at growing and scaling funded today, I, that's often what I think, right? If, if I can go and create some new business and it's going to generate $100,000 in extra revenue and take all this time. It's like, well, that, that's not really worth it. That's going to be a waste of time, right? Or even if the market size is only half a million, right? It's okay. That's not going to be really worth our time. Where's there a big market that is growing that we could grow with that industry growth? 
So that's where I think the greatest application for me and my business and personal life are. Looking at those high growth areas and going, this is where I'm going to dedicate my you know, time, attention and focus into those areas. Yeah, the eighty twenty principle is definitely quite quite a powerful tool, and it, like you mentioned before, a good way to sort of reassess where where you're spending your time and Absolutely. and what you're doing. I wanted to go a little bit back to when you were marketing for um, U.S. presidential campaigns. How have you applied that marketing knowledge to funded today? It's interesting because when I started, I have a little mantra that I say to myself sometimes. Not sometimes. It's really actually really what I believe, which is why not me? If there are going to be presidential campaigns who are hiring agencies to help with their marketing, why not me? Now, I might not have the skill. I might not have the expertise, but I can go figure it out or I could go hire it or I can learn through trial and experience. So I had only been doing email lead generation for, let's see, maybe only two or three years max. Well, the, the company that I had started that I was just running by myself. In terms of email lead generation, it hadn't even been a year, but I had just found a process that worked really well. And so my goal was come next presidential cycle here in the US, and this was back in 2016, I said, my goal is to work with some presidential campaigns. And it seemed like an ambitious goal, but why not me? And so that was the attitude that I took. And I got somebody else who I knew who did sales well, and that had the time and brought him on. And, and so we started pitching. And so we worked with a couple presidential campaigns. So I think it's not necessarily the skills per se, but the mental attitude. And I know that sounds like super cliche, but one of my other favorite quotes of all time is Henry Ford, the founder of the car company Ford, Ford Cars. And one of his phrases that he shared was, whether you think you can or you can't, you're probably right. Because if you don't think you can do something, in the first instance, you're not even going to try to do it. If you think you can do it, you will try. And if you're committed to it, you'll figure it out. It's like Steve Jobs, right? I, I can't remember the exact story, but he said, look, I want, I want a phone where the buttons and everything that the screen, and I forget if it was the tablet. Again, I'm kind of botching this story because I don't remember the exact details. He said, here's, here's how I want it, right? I, I want everything to be touch screen on, on the screen. And the devs and engineers said, no, that's not possible. He said, no, make it happen. I'm not going to do anything else. Make that happen. And what did they do? They made it happen. And like, I, I literally am not making this up. Like, this is what I believe more than anything. Just two or three days ago, my seven year old, he, I, I don't even know what he was saying. But he said something and I said, William, you're not allowed to say that in our house. You just said a swear word. He said, well, what did I say? I said, you just said impossible. I think he said impossibility. I was like, that's a swear word in our house. Kind of tongue in cheek, but also like, I don't want him to ever think that. I, I believe everything is possible. So part of that is also how I look at things at Funded Today, right? If we have a competitor who's doing something that we're not, or there's a campaign we work on. And for some reason, we don't perform well on that campaign, but we have a competitor who performs better or, or more likely we have a client who does something and we're like, well, how are they doing this? What are they doing? Right. I look at that as an opportunity, right? Every difficulty is an opportunity. And I think, oh, that's amazing. Let's learn 
from what is happening there so we can improve, right? So I, I'm never really worried about competitors or others because it's like, look, if some competitor comes into the space and starts outperforming us, then that simply means that there's also that same room for improvement for ourselves. And so that doesn't really quite answer your question in terms of marketing, but is maybe a little more broad in, in how we approach kind of everything we do. But the marketing, I, I guess to actually address kind of to the point of the marketing, we don't actually do a ton of email lead generation with the clients we work with on Kickstarter and Indiegogo. Now, let's see, we probably, it's probably 5% of our business in terms of revenue. So it's not a huge part of it. And so what I have learned though, is if you know skills, say in online marketing, whether it's for email lead generation or sending somebody to a landing page, it's kind of just a different application of understanding the fundamentals of marketing. And so everything we do for marketing, it's kind of just always following those fundamentals and then being able to optimize things. So in that way, uh, it has been helpful. Yeah. So the fundamentals that you've learned, but also the mindset that you've developed and you've applied previously and and now. You, You mentioned Kickstarter and Indiegogo. And for those wanting to launch on those platforms, is there one that you'd recommend over the other? Oh, absolutely. So hands down, Kickstarter is going to raise you more money than Indiegogo. When we first started five years ago, this was a question we had, which platform's better? Well, now we know having run over, I believe, 2,000 campaigns on Kickstarter and a few hundred on Indiegogo, Kickstarter is hands down the best platform. Actually, if I'm not mistaken, we have worked on more campaigns than any other individual or any other agency in the entire world. So just from our experience, we know and can see Kickstarter is better. But if anybody wants to, they can go to funded.today forward slash stats. And there's a Kickstarter versus Indiegogo comparison where you can actually break down and see how many campaigns have launched on each platform and how much each platform has raised and what the average raise has been and how many people raised 10,000, how many people raised 50,000. And Kickstarter typically will perform about three to five X better than Indiegogo. So That's, yeah. Kickstarter it is. Leaps and bounds ahead. It's um, definitely, definitely dominating. Has Kickstarter always dominated the, the industry or, or has it had sort of more rapid growth over the last you know, year or so? Since we started five years ago, Kickstarter has been the better platform. If I recall correctly, Indiegogo was actually the first platform to launch. But for whatever reason, Kickstarter has just performed, has performed better. It has had a better conversion rate. And so Kickstarter is better. Now, that doesn't mean Indiegogo doesn't have its place because there's what's called Indiegogo in demand which is kind of an evergreen, right? With, with crowdfunding and Kickstarter and Indiegogo, how it works for anyone who might be listening who might not be familiar with it, it's where you can launch a new product without, even having, without having manufactured or finished your product yet. So I could say, I want to create a new wallet, but I want to see if I can get enough people who will pre-purchase this before I go in and create it. So I would say, I need to raise at least $20,000 to make this happen. And I would set a goal for how much I need to raise. 
And then I would set a time frame for how long I would run this for. Usually it's between 30 to 45 days. The max is 60 days. And so you launch your campaign and then you have those number of days to raise and hit your goal. You can raise more than your goal, but if you don't hit your goal, you're not going to get the money. Technically, Indiegogo has something called flexible funding, which basically says, here's my goal, but if I don't hit it, I still get the money. And that's not, again, we don't really launch on Indiegogo, so it's not really an issue. But Indiegogo has something called Indiegogo in demand. So after your campaign is over, you can actually still continue to take funds and pledges from people who want to get your product before you are shipping. And so that actually is pretty popular. And any campaign that we work with, either on Kickstarter or Indiegogo, we actually transition to Indiegogo in demand because it does perform uh, really well. And so sometimes people might go with Indiegogo as well, just because Kickstarter is a little more stringent for who they let on their platform. And so that being the case, you might not get approved on Kickstarter, but would be able to go to Indiegogo because of whatever reasons. So okay. generally so each, Kickstarter, but sometimes Indiegogo and in demand are, are so useful. So I'm not saying ignore them. You know, each platform has its place. That's yeah, important to know. Are there any um are there any common sort of myths or misconceptions about the crowdfunding space? One myth is that if you just put it on Kickstarter, you're gonna hit your goal and you'll just get pledges. Right? Kind of like the phrase, if you build a better mousetrap, everyone will beat a path to your door. I, again, I forget the exact quote, something like that. And that's simply not the case. You have to put the right marketing behind it. You can't just throw up a half-made idea and expect to get a whole bunch of support. And also, if you go again to funded.today forward slash stats, and you can look at the numbers, the probability of raising a million dollars on Kickstarter, I believe is one in 5,000. I'd have to look at the numbers again. I, I can't recall off the top of my head. So a lot of times people say, I want to have a million dollar goal. And that's good, right? And if there's anybody who's going to help you raise a million dollars, it's going to be funded today, right? We, we've worked with so many campaigns. We know the ins and outs. But people need to have the right expectations, right? What is reasonable? How much have similar products raised on Kickstarter? Go browse on Kickstarter. See how much they raise. See how much live campaigns are currently raising in that category. And so you're going to have sometimes some disconnect for what might happen. Now, you can always say, here's what we hope to happen. But in terms of what you need to happen and what likely will happen, those are, those are different questions. And a lot of times, people who raise a lot of money, you don't know the backstory, right? It's kind of like, the person who has a 10,000 square foot home, you might think, man, that guy is wealthy, but maybe he's not, right? Maybe he's dirt poor and he has so much debt. It reminds me of my banker I was chatting with. And he's like, I had the most interesting experience, right? He said, one day I had this guy come up and he was so rude, so arrogant, had super nice clothes. It was in the drive-thru, I believe, right? Super nice car. And just an absolute jerk, right? But looked like he had it all. And the guy had like a negative bank account. And I think he was upset because like a check had bounced or something, right? And he had gone negative. And then later that day, there's this guy who comes up in this old, I don't know if it was a paint truck or if I recall correctly, he, he provided some type of 
like manual labor or service. And, you know, his car was like totally junky, right? His clothes weren't nice, right? You know, he didn't strike you as flashy or anything. Super humble, looked like nothing, but he's like, this guy had a ton of money in his bank account. And obviously he didn't tell me how much he had or, or who they were, but right, he's just kind of sharing this. And I think it illustrates the point, right? When you look at a Kickstarter campaign, it might have raised a million dollars, but what was behind that campaign? How much money did they put into that campaign to raise that? I know of campaigns that have raised $4 million and they put $3 million into the campaign to raise that much. And so, yeah, it might look amazing, but the picture's not always as it looks. And to be aware of that, right? So that's also a common myth. Like, hey, look at these people. They've raised this money. Man, they must be so wealthy. That could be the case, and it might not be the case. And also, here's another thing, right? You don't need, here's another myth. You got to raise a lot of money to create an amazing product and an amazing company. Case in point, look at the number one and number two most funded campaigns of all time on Kickstarter. It was the Pebble Watch. I believe they raised 22 million and then 14 ish or 17, I, I can't remember, millions of dollars. At one point, they had an offer, I believe, from Fitbit to purchase them for about $700 million. And just a couple of years ago, they went out of business. They don't even operate anymore. They're completely out of business. And look how much they had raised. Now, on the flip side, there is a company called PopSocket. Are you, are you familiar with PopSocket, Aiden? I've, uh, I've, I've heard of it. It's, um, I think, is it something that you attach to your phone? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Hmm. It's, it's kind of a little circle you put on the back of your phone case, but it's accordion. So it kind of pops out and then pops back in. And these guys were, I believe, in number two, they, they were in the top 10 for the Inc. 5000, which is the fastest growing privately held companies in the US. And they had done over around $100 million in revenue. And they had actually launched a Kickstarter campaign back in 2014, I believe. And they had raised and again, my, my, my numbers are fuzzy here because so many different campaigns, remembering all the dates and the figures. But I believe it was 17000 maybe $25,000, or maybe even 14000 right? They didn't raise what looked like an amazing raise, but they raised enough to get going, and they went and created an amazing company. So that's another myth, right? Don't think you have to raise a lot to then have a good company. Sometimes it could be just the opposite. There was one more, and I'm trying to remember what I was just about to say. Oh, yeah. Another myth is people think that their results after Kickstarter are going to mirror their results on Kickstarter. And that is not always going to be the case. And what I mean by that is sometimes we'll work with people and we might spend $2 to raise a dollar or a dollar to raise a dollar in terms of what tracks, right? So we might spend $2,000 one day to raise $2,000 in tracked sales. And then there might be another $2,000 from non-tracked sales, right? Maybe they went and they Googled the product after seeing the ad, and then they went and made a purchase. And so it, it wasn't tracked back to the ad. Sometimes people say, man, this isn't good. Like these results are poor. And what people don't realize is once you're off the platform of Kickstarter or Indiegogo, it becomes a lot harder 
because you have to send all of the traffic yourself. And no way do you have as much traffic as these platforms, which are ranked in the top 1,000 per Alexa, for the Alexa rankings. And so understanding that and understanding that Kickstarter is the time you really want to grow your brand and your business. And people coming into it, they need to understand and know what their objective is. What is their goal, right? Sometimes people don't care if they're not making a profit. Their goal is just to raise as much as possible to then go get venture capital funding. Other people say, no, I want to have as much profit as possible. And I'm not really planning on doing anything after this. And I just want to make this really profitable. So to really understand what your goals are, so you can plan your launch and your marketing accordingly and set your budgets accordingly. Yeah, it's very important to have um, know where you want to end up, no know, know sort of where you want to take it. And I, I love that you made the distinction of just because you've raised you know, X amount on Kickstarter in you know, 60 days doesn't mean you're going to keep raising that amount in perpetuity. Right. And every product's going to be different. And another thing I would recommend, because we've been primarily known historically as a crowdfunding agency, but just with the clients we have, the services we're providing, we do video work, we do page design, we do web development, and we do Amazon marketing, we do marketing for people's own e-commerce website. And another thing people should be cognizant of, which in the past, I hadn't really talked about this or told people about this. But if you're looking at building a long-term company and a long-term product, go to Amazon and analyze whatever your product is, what the competitors are doing. What are their price points? What are the pain points in the reviews that people are sharing? And as you build a product, address those issues. Because often a Kickstarter campaign will raise however much and then they try to market on their website and they only have one SKU. They only have one product. Well, they might be able to acquire a new customer at cost, right? Maybe they spend 80 bucks and generate $100 in sales. But after their COGS and shipping and, and everything else, they're not making a profit. Well, guess what they have to do? They have to turn off their marketing because it's not profitable. So really, if you're looking long-term to build a company and using Kickstarter to launch, there's at least two things you should be thinking about. The first is, what other products can I create that will allow me to continue to market to these people? Now, maybe you'll have an evergreen type product or a perishable, I should say, where every three months or every six months or every 12 months, somebody will come back and purchase your product again. For example, if you sell a diary or a journal, well, Presumably, every six months or every year or however long, somebody will come back if they liked your product and make another purchase. If you sell a wallet, yeah, usually people aren't buying wallets all the time, right? So maybe somebody would come back five years later, but after somebody's made a purchase, it's kind of hard to have something to cross-sell or to upsell. So unless you're creating a brand with multiple products, it becomes really, really difficult to sell on your website if you only have one product. So you need to be thinking about that. And if you do only have one product or even just a couple products, the next most logical play, which is what we found and what we've been helping so many of our clients with is to, to list on Amazon and to optimize that and to compete 
in that marketplace. But again, if you have a price point that's 2x or 3x what all of the competitors are doing, unless your value proposition or, or the benefits of your product are substantially, substantially better, you're not really going to stand a chance. It, it is an uphill battle. So those are things to be thinking about. Unless, of course, you're, you're going a retail play. And, and if that's the case, then again, that's a different animal. But if you're going a retail play, sometimes people say, oh, your fees 25 to 35% of what my entire campaign raises. Like how in the world could I afford that? Well, if you don't even have those margins built in, you don't even have margins built in to have a sustainable company. Because if you want to go sell to say Walmart or to some other retailer, and let's say your, your product is $10 or let's say $100, you're going to need to sell your product to Walmart for 50 bucks. And they're going to have a 2x markup, right? So you sell it for 50 bucks, they'll mark it up 2x for 100 bucks. So again, if you don't have those margins, and if, and if I'm not mistaken, I believe it's Apple that they will take 60 points. Meaning if you have a product that is selling for $100 and you want it in the Apple store, you need to sell your product to Apple for $40 a piece. And then they will go and sell it for $100. So they're going to have a 60, they're going to have 60 points on the retail price. So again, those are things I don't know if, if most people think about it. I think a lot of times people just say, hey, I have this cool idea. And that's great if you have a cool idea and you're just wanting to launch it. But if you're really wanting to grow it and build it, you got to think in terms of what your margins are, how you can get those margins down, how you can be have competitive pricing relative to people on Amazon, uh, as well as if you're wanting to go retail to have that margin built in. And if, if you do those things, you're setting yourself up for a lot of good success. But you also got to realize then it might be harder to go launch your venture because you can't just go charge $300. Yeah, it's, it's it's really so important to have that that long term picture. It's not just the the start of you know raising money, but it's it's the the longevity of it all and, and what to do after and how to keep that momentum going and finding other channels like you said Amazon or you know big retail stores to sell your product. But it's important to have a have an appropriate cost structure and um, margin built in before you um before you sort of mass market it. A hundred percent. Because yeah, like you said, if if a product you're selling for a hundred dollars. And it costs you a hundred dollars to sell it, then you're not making any money, and you know your, your business is uh, is limited. That concept can be applied to any any other business. It's not just not just those in the um those who who list on you know Kickstarter or Indiegogo. It can definitely be be applied to any sort of industry. Yep, I agree. Who's been a major influence in your life, and what have they taught you? That is a great question. I would say the ones I've already mentioned. Perry Marshall, who I learned Google AdWords and kind of the fundamentals of marketing. There's Richard Koch, the 80-20 principle. Jeez, in terms of, and this might maybe sound a little cliche, but I was just chatting with my, with my business partner and he was asking me what I thought because we, we both go to the same church. And this last week we were reading the Sermon on the Mount from you know, Jesus, right? And obviously, you know, he taught to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And, you know, to, to turn your cheek if somebody smites you and to go the second mile. And so that, that is another thing just in my personal life where I really try to 
take those teachings from the Bible and say, okay, how do you apply these, right? How do you have forgiveness? And I, and I don't care if somebody's an atheist or, or a Christian or a Muslim or whatever, right? I, I actually really enjoyed looking uh, and have been doing this quite a bit lately, looking at Hinduism and Buddhism and other religions to see what knowledge, what truth they have, right, that can help me try to be a better person and not by any means that I'm, I'm perfect and have plenty of mistakes, right? But in terms of, you know, who's had the most influence on me, I, I would say Jesus. Uh, again, that might sound a little cliche, but, you know, every, every day, you know, for at least 30 minutes, I, I try to like study from the Bible, from the scriptures and to learn. And I feel that that actually makes you, it, it makes you more well-rounded, right? Life isn't just about business, even though you can totally get sucked into that, right? And it's remembering family, it's remembering your neighbor. So that that's who I would probably say. And, and again, I don't I don't really care if, if somebody's an atheist or not, right? But it, it's not so much the doctrine, but the principles by which to live by, right? Which which I think are the most important things. And so yeah, that's that's probably who I would say has had the biggest influence on me. Mm. And it's uh, it's definitely important to have principles to live by. You know, that, like I said, it doesn't really matter where you, where you get them from, in a sense. But it's important to have a have a set of yeah core values and principles that you can sort of fall back on and um, abide by. Yep, absolutely. Uh, Thomas, uh, a question I'd like to ask all guests on the podcast, and I'd love to hear your views on it, is what's your definition of the grind? I would answer this by I have said before, you know, a plane doesn't take off without a substantial amount of effort. When I first started doing email lead generation, I actually got a contract for a Senate campaign. And I had some ideas for how I was going to generate the emails and they were not working. And so I then tried another idea, it didn't work. And then I, I tried two more things and, and those started working. But I had to work a day, a night, a day, a night, and a day without sleeping to get this going ASAP because I was behind. So to me, that's the grind. The grind is, you know, for me with my business and we have 50 or so people working, right? I'm more high level. It's not like the day to day I'm, I'm in all of that, right? But the grind is when you want to make something new fly, you got to put in the grind. It ain't just going to happen. And often or almost in all cases, you can't just outsource it to other people. Like you got to make it happen. And so that to me is the grind where, and I don't know what that's like, I don't know, working 55 hours straight. And I've only done that twice, right? There was that time. And, and then there was another time just to about a year and a half ago at Funded Today where I had to do the same thing. And that's the grind. You just got to put it in. And Zach and I, we often say, and like, my goodness, it is amazing. The secret to work, everyone probably wants to write this down because if they could just do this one thing, I guarantee they will have success no matter what. The secret to work is work. I know it sounds so easy, but that is the secret. If you just work, you will have success. Now, I suppose if you're doing the wrong thing or you're not good at it, it might not come as quick. But if you just work, you'll, you'll, you'll get it. Because we will hire people and we're like, what in the world? Nothing's getting done. And then we go and we see, are they even doing anything? Often we just let them go. And then we just send out a few emails or do whatever. And it's like, oh no, this completely works. They just simply were not working. The secret to work is work. 
And that is, that's the grind. The grind is the work. And sometimes you got to put in a lot of it. Sometimes, you know, for some people, it might be day in, day out, and that's the grind, but that's what you got to do, right? And so for some people, the grind might be, hey, I have my job, but I want to start something new or I want to go to school. And you got to put in 60 or 70 hours a week. That's the grind. The grind is that exertion that is required to take yourself to the next level. The law of the harvest, you reap what you sow. I love that. I love your uh, perspective of it all. And it's, it's, it's true, really. No one, no one who's had any sort of ounce of success has ha- had it happened by chance, in a sense. They've always worked hard you know, behind the scenes to get 100%. there. 100%. Yeah. I mean, you go look, and I remember reading about Mark Zuckerberg. I mean, he, he talks about all of the countless times he stayed up late and worked all night. And then the next, I, if I'm not mistaken, right, he worked all night, then the next day, then all night. And then the next day, I think he said he did that a couple of times. And not that, not that that's what you need to do. I, I wouldn't, I didn't want to do that, but it's like the circumstances required me, like forced me to do it. And it's like, no, that's just what you do. That is the grind. You just do it. Love it. Where, where can people find more about uh, you and, and Funded Today? If people go to funded.today, they can check out our website, our services. We have a blog. We have a podcast. It's the Funded Today podcast on iTunes and any other major place where you have uh, podcasts. And that's spelled Funded Today. Because we get your campaign or venture funded today, it's F-U-N-D-E-D. So not fund it with I-T, but E-D at the end. Funded Today. Yeah. For those listening, definitely uh, worth recommend checking um checking them out. The podcast has you know, a lot of great content on there, um, as does their blog for those that, that prefer to read. Definitely check them out. And um, if you do have a campaign and, and, and want to, to fund it, definitely recommend um, checking Zach and Thomas out. Thanks again, Thomas, for your time. Absolutely. Thank you, Aiden. It was uh, great to be here with you today. Thank you. If this is the first time you've listened to the podcast, I appreciate you for stopping by. Please subscribe. Otherwise, if you took away valuable advice from this episode, I'd love for you to share it with others. Until next time.